how do I start? You're like, hi everyone. Hi everyone. Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I say I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. And I'm Linnea. I literally was Every like, time. what do I say? <laughs> I smell burnt toast. Doctor, I smell burnt toast. <laughs> I dragged my ass out of bed for this picture. <laughs> On Mondays, it's going to be Margarita Mondays. <laughs> Nationwide. <laughs> and feel that reciprocated enjoyment. enjoyment. <gasps> oh my god! It's like we're friends or something. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. It has been such a political month, hasn't it? Woof. (laughs) It is a bit of a woof. Yeah. We're recording this at the beginning of February, so there has just been the truck convoy for freedom. (laughs) Yeah. Which is... (laughs) Excellente. Great image when you get on Fox News and they're like, good job, Canada. Yeah. They're never saying that. (laughs) They never say that. They never talk about us and that's the way I like it. That is the way it should remain. Yes. Never talked about unless it's Justin Bieber and it's just in reference that he came from here. Yeah. And I will say, this is not the majority of truck drivers in Canada. I do think truckers have been getting a lot of hate. And this is like 90% of truck drivers in Canada are vaccinated. I saw a statistic, 91% of truck drivers are, yeah, are vaccinated and uh, and like are not partaking in this convoy. Yes. And then like not all the people who are unvaccinated are participating in the freedom convoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I was talking to my supervisor at Dalhousie and he has students who are like living in Ottawa and they're like it's terrifying it's really scary to like try and go out because you have sure you have maybe only a couple hundred protesters but they're in massive trucks yeah so you can't actually go anywhere or like go down the street without people honking and screaming at you and it's a bit of an unreasonable bunch like it's not yeah this isn't you know picketers with signs you know asking for like fair wages marching in a circle this is different i think there's a spectrum of peaceful to violent protest Mm -hmm. it's not violent in the sense that they're like beating the shit out of people but it's also not like these people are being respectful to the people of ottawa or the media or you know politicians that they view as not supporting them yeah did you read about the soup kitchen that was ransacked Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. People who are are part of this convoy, again, I won't even refer to them as truckers because from what I understand, the majority of this convoy causing a ruckus on the ground in Ottawa are more part of the freedom rally side of things, if you will. Um, And that's the, yeah, like a bunch of people have leached onto this as an opportunity to spew hate and white supremacy. And the minute that that happens, I'm sorry, the protest is done. You can't keep going. Right. And the soup kitchen, people came in and demanded, you know, food from the soup kitchen. That's for homeless people. In the city of Ottawa, which is one of the coldest cities in Canada. Yeah. And so they come into the soup kitchen. Um, Someone was assaulted, like from them getting in. The soup kitchen was just like, we want to just kind of get this over with like here's your soup like please be on your way Mm -hmm. but like traumatic like not not okay not acceptable no yeah no it's been it's been a wild wild week in Ottawa and it's a shame it's I was just having this conversation with another friend because 
you know, I thought kind of at the start of COVID that I got rid of all my crazy like people on Instagram and Facebook. You know what I mean? Like I thought I like did a good like flush and clean out and I was like feeling good. And then I was like, nope. Turns out. The racists are still there. Like. So do you think they've turned or has it, were they just like, they're, they're now able to, to fly their freedom flag? No, I think some people, some people just don't get it. Um, yeah. And I, I think that it's fine to be in parts of, you know, rural Nova Scotia, 18 hours away from downtown Ottawa and just say, oh, yeah, like they don't want to get vaccinated. That's their choice. Like I support that. Yeah. And kind of ignore the actual things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if it was a protest about not wanting to be vaccinated and wanting to still work, like that's been happening. That's been happening lots. And like mm-hmm. mandates come in and they get put through and that's just how it is. But when... It becomes it like watching news footage and there's just like a Canadian flag upside down with swastikas all over it. Like that's yeah. that's a problem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is no longer a peaceful protest that I can see any like like that just I would never ever get behind. Yeah. And it's like I wouldn't have agreed with your argument to start that mm-hmm. you shouldn't get vaccinated, yeah. whatever. But now we've gone to a realm where it's just like now I really can't. Like it's not even like I see this as a benign thing that i don't agree with now i'm like oh now you've associated with evil yeah (laughs) sorry yeah yeah Yeah. so and the big thing that took i think a lot of people by surprise at least on twitter was the defacing adornment of the terry fox (laughs) memorial that's in ottawa yeah which they also danced and and put shit on the unknown soldier just disgusting but i find it interesting yeah that terry fox was the bigger thing. Like, yeah. not to say that the Unknown Soldier wasn't, and people were upset with that, but I, <laughs> Grace being an academic for a moment, that is what I, re- I research commemoration, right? Like yeah. I, when I look at history, I look at how we commemorate history more yeah. so, like the conversations that we have around that. And I think it's just, it's important to note that in the time that we live in, there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of reassessment of statues and memorials and heroes that you have like Sir John A. Macdonald has gone through that process yeah. for the last couple of years. But definitely this summer of people being like, wow, I really don't associate with him and his policies anymore and wanting those statues removed. Mm-hmm. Ryerson University is no longer called Ryerson University. Yeah. Brock, I'm pretty sure, is going through a similar thing, though don't quote me on that. A high school here in Halifax. High school um, here. Is... Granted, that's not so much history. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> Epstein relevant. <laughs> it's pretty present. Um, uh-huh. But anyways. But yeah, like, the the thing that I noticed on Twitter when people were talking about it, it's not that... There's plenty of people that were saying, like, how ironic and how stupid it is to associate Terry Fox with, like, an anti-vax, anti-medical science movement. Like, yeah. it's backwards. Spoiler alert, Terry Fox is our episode today. So Surprise! We're going to go all into that. But the main thing I saw was, like, you don't fuck with Terry Fox. No! You don't cross that line. Yeah. And you don't politicize Terry. No. Because he's one of the few Canadian heroes who's really not politicized. People don't evoke his name. He's not used on corporate branding. Nope. Like nothing uses Terry Fox. His like yeah. image is very much controlled by the Terry Fox Foundation. Yeah. It's just really interesting because like he's the only person I can think of that we really do that for. 
just don't take that for granted. Yeah. Like, we're going to lose a lot of heroes over the next 10, 20 years. Warning. Yeah. As, you know, they find more dead children in residential schools. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people that it's not going to be okay to commemorate and celebrate anymore. And Terry is one of the people that's really not going to be touched by that. Yeah. He's Métis, actually. Really? Yeah, he has his grandmother was Métis. I don't know oh. if he personally identified as such, but he has like Métis ancestry. So it's just like, I really want to like impress yeah. upon people that what Terry did and what Terry stands for is something that's actually kind of untouchable. Yeah. And then I saw that on Twitter, people were like, Terry was actually kind of an asshole. I was like, no, 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 no. No, he no, wasn't. No. He was 21. He was 21. He, he was, was a child. Kid. Yeah, he was a kid. <laughs> There's who, a difference. He was a kid who was like, I mean, obviously, I never met Terry Fox. Yeah. And obviously, I can only infer, you know, how he was feeling when he decided to do this marathon of hope. But like, that's what you have like as a kid, like before you're jaded. Like, you know, he has cancer and he talks about like you hear him speak and talk about all of the children that he saw who were so sick and yeah. and in so much pain and how like the least he could do was just like run to raise money like for these kids just to and it wasn't even about the running as much as it was the visiting and the being there and the being present and and looking for donations for what he was doing yeah he is he's he's an untouchable canadian he is and there's like you don't a lot talk of shit about terry fox like no you just don't you don't fuck with terry fox yeah it's like that's a step too far canada has like a golden rule yeah <laughs> it's don't fuck with terry fox yeah and a lot of the people who are in support of the truckers you know they like started sharing images of the the statue with like a covid19 mask on and there's an image of it wearing a toque and someone put a pride flag in the hand of terry fox and to that i just say like those aren't protests. Yeah. Those are people who were walking down the street and they're like, this would be great and and did that. It's yeah. not like connected with a big protest. No. Not to mention, there's like, there's a lot of things that are symbolically wrong with it. <laughs> and, and this is my podcast, our podcast, so I'm going to get it <laughs> off my chest. Because for one, it's really awful, I think, to co-opt the symbolic nature of defacing a statue because all summer we saw First Nations indigenous peoples defacing statues and like weeping at the feet of these statues because their children were missing and murdered yeah are missing and murdered are missing and murdered and then these people went and put these things on the statue and then were riotously laughing and dancing like around the statue and so it's not just that you put things on the statue. It's what people connect that with in their brain. Yeah. And so by doing that, you're just watering down the message of another protest because you're flooding the conversation with Terry Fox statue, not Sir John A. McDonald statue, yeah. which actually has some really deep, significant meaning, whereas yours was just an impromptu dicking around at yeah. the Capitol. The other thing is you're also co-opting Terry's message because... You're driving across the country. Yeah. Like that form of fundraising and support and protest is so iconically Canadian. Yeah. Because we're a big country, so it means something. And then the way our geography is laid out is that if you go horizontally, you will cross-sect eight of the ten provinces and you'll skip the territories, unfortunately. Yeah. But you can't do that in like the U.S. Because the U.S., you have to 
weave and up and down and yeah and and in the u.s states are so um literally and figuratively divided in some places yeah. like you know you have big chunks here and then lower it's something else and then the tip of something is something else and that doesn't happen in canada we're very very square we're very square <laughs> the further you go west the square it gets <laughs> yep and then you hit bc and it's not square not anymore. square at all <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of those things of like that kind of protest is so iconically canadian and Terry's Marathon of Hope is this like beautiful thing that the whole nation celebrates, something that actually unifies people in this country, which yeah. as much as we like to say we're not as divided as the U.S. or whatever, we in a country that supports and, and celebrates diversity, I think, for the most part, the downside to that is you don't have unifying figures very much. No. And so when you have an act like that and you have a person like Terry to co-op what he did for your own political purposes, I don't even care that it's an anti-vax thing. When you just like co-opt it for a deeply political reason, yeah. it just feels dirty and trashy. Yeah, because, because it is. Terry went to great lengths to be like, this is not a political thing in any way. Yeah. He had like a very singular message and a singular cause. And, and Terry Fox is one of those people, those Canadian heroes that I don't ever remember not knowing yeah. who Terry Fox was or the story of Terry Fox. Like, I can't in my brain think like Terry that Fox I was day. sitting in, in. But I, I can't even go back as far as great primary and be like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, you just, you know that. Communities know mm -hmm. that and celebrate that. And it's like, you just, if you're Canadian, you know who Terry Fox is. It's just how yeah. it is. So anyways, yeah, those are our, our rants and ramblings about the yeah. trucker convoy <laughs> and the Terry Fox statue. Yeah. Um, which is is cleaned up now. Which has been cleaned up apparently by protesters i just hate that shit yeah where they're just like no look these protesters went back and they cleaned up the statue and yeah. it's like the damage has been done i'm yeah. sorry it's like i'm not gonna suddenly like turn around and be like wow you guys are great good Never job mind. slow clap for you slow, slow <laughs> clap for cleaning up your mess <laughs> but we're gonna shift gears and yeah. we're gonna focus on the man who deserves focus yeah who is terry fox so Terry was born on July 28th, 1958 in Winnipeg, Manitoba to his mother and father, Roland and Betty. 58? Yeah. Wow. I know. Oh, that's crazy. Because he's a kid, so you don't ever associate I totally him. thought he'd be younger than, like, my parents. No, yeah. My dad remembers really, like, vividly being quite a young kid and, mm -hmm. like, hearing about Terry Fox. That's crazy. Yeah. So his father was a switchman for the Canadian National Railway, and Terry had an older brother, Fred, and a younger brother, Daryl, and then a younger sister, Judith. So the family moves to Surrey, BC in 1966, and then they eventually settled in Port Coquitlam in 1968. Shout out to Haley, our friend Haley, oh, who's yeah. from Coquitlam, and that's the only reason I knew how to say it. Oh. <laughs> this is the first time we've had a weird place name, and I was like, I got it. I got Nailing it. Nailing this one. <laughs> His parents were dedicated to their family, and his mother especially was very protective of her children. It was through her that Terry developed his stubborn dedication to whatever task he was committed to. His father recalled that Terry was very competitive, noting he hated to lose so much that he would continue at any activity until he succeeded. This is you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not Terry Fox. I'm not making that, no, but I am very not. competitive. She is very competitive. I'm not so though. much competitive to the point where it's like, I won't quit. I will stop at nothing. I'd be like, I was the kid who like cried when yeah. they lost a tennis match because I was like, eh, I can't believe I lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Terry attempted to join his school's basketball team, though he struggled because of his height. So Terry was a little short at the time. Okay. 
His coach suggested that Terry try cross-country running instead, which Terry did to impress his coach. Okay. He's just like, okay, fine, I'll cross-country run, but you better be there. You better be watching. <laughs> I'll be the best goddamn cross-country runner you've ever seen. This is like this is like eight-year-old Terry Fox. <laughs> Terry continued to improve his basketball skills, and in the 12th grade, he won his high school's Athlete of the Year award. Aww. Terry was unsure whether he wanted to go to university, but his mother convinced him to enroll at Simon Fraser University. He studied kinesiology with the intention of becoming a physical education teacher. And then he also joined the junior varsity basketball team. Oh, good for him. On November 12th, 1976, Terry was driving to the family home in Port Coquitlam when he was distracted by a nearby bridge construction and he crashed the car into the back of a pickup truck. Terry injured his right knee in the crash, and he felt pain until December, but chose to ignore it until the end of the basketball season. By March 1977, the pain had intensified, and he went to the hospital, where he was diagnosed with bone cancer um, in that knee. Terry believed his car accident weakened his knee and left it vulnerable to the disease, though his doctors argued there was no connection. (laughs) So there's a little, like, maybe not medical science. (laughs) I'm sorry. This is just a comedy podcast. I cannot make jokes. I'm it's sorry. Okay. It's okay. It's like, it's the car crash. <laughs> like, it's cancer. <laughs> but again, he's like 20. But that's the thing. He's a kid. He's he, a boy right. who wants to play sports. He's a child. Yeah. He's 18, I think, Ugh. at this point when he gets diagnosed with cancer. So that is the thing. That's a really good point because the minute you start to like, look back yeah you're like oh what a what a brave young man it's like by today's standards you'd be like he's still living at home he's the same age as is your brother he's right now when terry passes away he's the same age as my younger brother aiden is now and at this point he's the same age as my other younger brother yeah that's what i'm saying yeah yeah so it's like if my youngest brother column got in a car crash and then was like oh i have cancer and don't get in a car crash yeah please please. don't get in a car crash but also i've met your brother and that sounds like something he could say but yeah, like, just remember that he is a child. Yeah, he's a kid. So if he says dumb stuff sometimes, it's because he's a child. Yeah. And I'm just going to state for the record that I don't think Terry Fox has ever been remembered for saying anything dumb. Not on this podcast. Nope. He's a golden not, boy. He's golden child. <laughs> he was told that his leg had to be amputated and he would require chemotherapy treatment and that recent medical advances suggested that he might have a 50% chance of survival. Ugh. Which is just like, you go from like, finally making your team's like your school's basketball team and now you're like my leg is getting amputated yeah so terry learned that two years before that figure would have been just 15 percent. okay so dramatic medical advances also mrna vaccines Mm. are turning out to be one of the leading developments in cancer treatment yeah so you know you know you know anyways (laughs) this is about terry (laughs) this is not a political podcast i just yeah, we'll leave that to Reese and Jesse. Yeah. Who, Reese and Jesse, our friends, Canadian Politics is Boring. Shout out to them for sharing our trailer. But also, they have a whole episode about the convoy. So if you want to know a lot more information about that, you should go check out their episode. Yeah. If you want to be a little bit more political and hear a very strong opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the improvement in survival rates impressed him on the value of cancer research. With the help of an artificial leg, Terry was walking three weeks after his amputation, and doctors were really impressed by his positive outlook, stating it contributed to his rapid recovery, because mental health has a big part on your physical health. He's literally so great. There's nothing wrong with him. You you cannot (laughs) tell me anything that will make me say a bad thing about Terry Fox. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying now. (laughs) I know where you sometimes go with these podcasts. No, I'm not. I'm not. I promise. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't care what you say. <laughs> Terry endured 16 months of chemotherapy, and he found the time he spent in British Columbia's Cancer Control Agency facility difficult because he had to watch fellow patients with cancer suffer and then some of them die from the disease. And again, because he's a child, he's in a children's hospital. Yes. So he's with children. He's with other kids. Yeah. It's just so, yeah, I just can't imagine. It's my worst fear. In the summer of 1977, Rick Hansen, who was working with the Canadian Wheelchair Sports Association, invited Terry to try out for his wheelchair basketball team. Although he was undergoing chemotherapy treatments at the time, Fox's energy impressed Hansen. Less than two months after learning how to play the sport, Terry was named a member of the team for the national championship in Edmonton. He won three national titles with the team and was named an all-star by the North American Wheelchair Basketball Association in 1980. So he was like... Not a pro, I think semi-pro athlete. Yeah. Like, and imagine, because I do have to imagine that you're like, okay, I could have gone and been a basketball player, but now I'm like competing at the top level of this subset of basketball, the yeah. sport I love so much. Yeah, it, it's the same conversation I had um, when the Canadian pair hockey team came to Bridgewater mm-hmm. because some of the guys had never played hockey before, had any interest in it. And then, you know, you, it, a lot of them who... um became disabled Mm -hmm. um who either had accidents or cancer or things you know then it's like what do what the hell do i do yeah whereas some of the other players you know hockey was their passion and then you know you can't play it anymore so then it's like do you even want to like go close to the rink again yeah and so but being able to like then find something that puts you at like the highest level you can possibly play that maybe you wouldn't have had that opportunity yeah if you if this hadn't happened like you know it's such a it's yeah. entirely about outlook. Yeah, yeah. And Terry's sure. like really noted for having a positive outlook. And I'm sure yeah. all Paralympians, all para-athletes yeah. have that in them. Yeah. Because they're like, they're not competing on the national scale with like a shitty attitude about their amputation. No, exactly. The night before his cancer surgery, Terry had been given an article about a man named Dick Tram, who was the first amputee to complete the New York City Marathon. This article really inspired Terry, and so he embarked after his surgery and recovery on a 14-month training program, telling his family that he planned to compete in a marathon himself. So he's inspired by this guy, and he's like, I'm going to go run a marathon. In private, what he was devising was a more extensive plan. (laughs) The Marathon of Hope! His hospital experience had made Terry extremely angry at how little money was dedicated to cancer research. He intended to run the length of Canada in the hope of increasing cancer awareness, a goal he initially divulged only to his friend, Douglas Alward. Fox ran with an unusual gait, and he was required to hop step on his good leg due to the extra time the springs in his artificial leg required to reset after every step. Because there's no athletic prosthetics at this period of time. And let's just just say prosthetic advancements that have been made in the last 25 even the last 10 years are insane they're amazing like the blade legs oh yeah Yeah. crazy cool they're really really cool and you have to imagine that terry is part of that legacy of course because you watch this man suffer as he tries to run yeah across the country and it's just like how awfully painful it must have been um he found the training really painful as the additional pressure he had to place on both his good leg and his stump led to bone bruises, blisters, and intense pain. Terry found, however, that after 20 minutes of each run, he would cross a pain threshold and that would make the rest of the running easier. So he's like, if I can get through the first 20 minutes, that's the worst it's going to get. And then I will be able to keep going. 
There is that like runner's thing. Yeah. It's just sadism. It's <laughs> masochism. The what, whole time. Um, endurance sports. Yeah. It's it's a special type of breed. It's not me. I, I'm a sitter. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I'd uh I'd be more of the, the Rick Hansen if I was in that situation. Because <laughs> what Rick did was easy. He just wheeled across the country. <laughs> He hooked up to a trailer, wheeled across the country. I'm kidding. No, I'm no, kidding. no. Man in motion. I'm not a horrible person. No. I swear. <laughs> Never mind. I'm awful. Oh. Continue. So on September 2nd, 1979, Terry completed a 17-mile or 27-kilometer road race in Prince George. He finished in last place, 10 minutes behind his closest competitor, but his effort was met with the tears and applause of all the other participants. Of course. So he's making Grove Meg cry from the jump, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) He is the most vulnerable man we've ever talked about. There's just, there is something about Terry Fox that makes grown men cry. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. And I get it. He's great. yeah. (laughs) Following the marathon, he revealed his full plan to his family. His mother discouraged him, which angered Terry, though she did later come around to support his project. She recalled, he said, I thought you'd be one of the first people to believe in me. Imagine a mother. To your your mother. Your son has just had cancer and his leg amputated. And he's doing really well. And he's like, I'm going to do this crazy (laughs) thing that not even people with two legs do. And you're like, I don't know, Terry. (laughs) And he's like, I thought you believed in me. It's yeah. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Gutted. Like, gut ripped out on the floor and Terry just, like, stomped on it. Yeah. <laughs> and then she goes on to say, but I wasn't. I was the first person to let him down. She's like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Terry initially hoped that he would raise $1 million. Yeah. And then $10 million. And then later sought to raise $1 for each of Canada's, at the time, 24 million citizens. Yeah. On October 15th, 1979, Terry sent a letter to the Canadian Cancer Society in which he announced his goal and he appealed for funding. He stated that he would, quote, conquer his disability and promise to complete his run even if he had to crawl every last mile. Oh. Explain. (laughs) I can't. We're not even a third of the way through. Oh, no. (laughs) It's too inspirational. Okay. Explaining why he wanted to raise money for research, Terry described his personal experience with cancer treatment. I soon realized that that would be half my quest. For as I went through the 16 months of the physically and emotionally draining ordeal of chemotherapy, I was rudely awakened by the feelings that surrounded and coursed through the cancer clinic. There were faces with the brave smiles and the ones who had given up smiling. There were feelings of hopeful denial and the feelings of despair. My quest would not be a selfish one. I could not leave knowing these faces and feelings would still exist, even though I would be set free from mine. Somewhere, the hurting must stop, and I was determined to take myself to the limit for this cause. At this point, a 20-year-old. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. Who's like through this 16-month ordeal has evidently aged like 15 years oh absolutely and you know that this is a group of like 45 year old women at the canadian cancer society who get this letter (laughs) yeah and i mean i'm sure i my assumption is if you're involved in the cancer society you probably have personal experience because everybody has a personal story with cancer yeah the cancer society was skeptical of his success but agreed to support terry once he had acquired sponsors and requested 
he would get a medical certificate from a heart specialist stating that he was fit to attempt the run. So something that had come out during his cancer treatment was that he was diagnosed with left ventricle hypertrophy, which is an enlarged heart. Because he has such a big heart. (laughs) Oh, gosh. But it is a condition commonly associated with athletes. Like A lot of athletes have a somewhat enlarged heart. So he actually has this like predisposition in some ways, to be a good runner. Um, But also it has potential risks because you have an enlarged heart. And so basically he would only get the certificate by promising the doctors that if he felt any heart issues, he would immediately go get medical attention. They endorsed his participation after he made this promise. A second letter... I solemnly swear. I solemnly swear. (laughs) A second letter was sent to several corporations seeking donations for a vehicle and running shoes, and to cover the costs of the run. So basically, they want car, shoes, and food. Yeah. That's about it. Some gas money. (laughs) Fox sent other letters asking for grants to buy a running leg. So I guess there there are some prosthetics, but, you know, not the ones we have today. The Ford Motor Company donated a camper van, while Imperial Oil contributed fuel, and Adidas gave him running shoes. Terry turned away any company that requested he endorse their products and refused any donation that carried conditions as he insisted that nobody was going to profit from his run. That's why you don't politicize Terry Fox. That's it, guys. He was doing it from the jump. (laughs) Making grown men cry and just being a goddamn good man. Boy. Boy. He's a a kid. He's a child. The marathon began on April 12th, 1980, when Terry dipped his right leg in the Atlantic Ocean near St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador, and filled two large bottles with ocean water. He intended to keep one as a souvenir and pour the other into the Pacific Ocean upon completing his journey at Victoria, British Columbia. That's just funny to me. (laughs) Take it from here, and we'll put it out there. The marriage of two seas. Yeah. <laughs> My job is done. It's like, a, it's like a secondary quest. Yeah. He's really just trying to intermingle the waters. Yeah. <laughs> Terry was supported on his run by his friend Doug, who drove the van and cooked the meals. Terry was met with gale force winds, heavy rain, and a snowstorm on the first day of his run. Welcome Thank to you, Newfoundland. Yeah. <laughs> April. Snowstorms. Yeah. Iceberg season. He was initially disappointed with the reception he received, but was heartened when he arrived in Channel, Porta Basque, Newfoundland, and Labrador, where the town's 10,000 residents presented him with a donation of over $10,000. Throughout the trip, Terry frequently expressed his anger and frustration to those he saw as impeding the run, and he fought regularly with Doug, his friend. <laughs> when they reached Nova Scotia, they were barely on speaking terms, and it was arranged that Terry's brother Daryl, then just 17, would join them as a buffer. <laughs> that's how you because know your best boys. friends, though. But that's how it's you know true. your best friends. Because, like, Doug didn't leave. Mm-mm. Doug was just like, I'm not talking to you, Terry. Like, <laughs> but also, like, <laughs> it must kind of be refreshing, because. <laughs> I mean, once you become someone who has a disability, there is definitely a noted difference in the way people treat you. Oh, yeah. And it's just like your buddy still will like get in your face and yell at you. Yeah. So sounds it's like be a bit of a relief. Sounds like Doug's not treating him any different. <laughs> Doug's like, you're not a fucking hero. Yeah. <laughs> get over yourself, Terry. You can't even drive this van, Terry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Terry left the Maritimes on June 10th and faced new challenges upon entering Quebec due to his group's inability to speak French. Yeah, that'll and, get you. <laughs> and, and the drivers who continually forced him off the road. Yeah. Thank you, Quebec. Quebec drivers, man. Something's never changed. <laughs> Newfoundland's always going to be a blizzard in April and Quebec drivers suck. <laughs> Terry arrived in Montreal on June 22nd, one third of the way through his 8,000 kilometer journey, having collected over $200,000 in donations. That's more than he thought. He, that's more than he thought he set out to get. Initially, he wants to raise a million, but you know, oh, okay. we're, we're doing pretty good. Okay. We're doing okay. And that's just in, in like donations from people. Right. You never know like what a, a company might donate. Yeah. Terry's run caught the attention of Isidore Sharp, the founder and CEO of the Four Seasons Hotels and Resort, who had lost his son to melanoma in 1978, just a year before Terry's diagnosis. Sharp gave food and accommodation at his hotel to Terry's team. And when Terry was discouraged because so few people were making donations, Sharp pledged $2 a mile and persuaded close to a thousand other corporations to do the same thing. Terry was convinced by the Canadian Cancer Society that arriving in Ottawa for Canada Day would aid fundraising efforts, so he remained in Montreal for a few extra days. Terry crossed into Ontario on the last Saturday in June, and he was met by a brass band and thousands of residents who lined the streets to cheer him on, while the Ontario Provincial Police gave him an escort throughout the province. Despite the sweltering heat of the summer, he continued to run 26 miles a day, or 42 kilometers, aka a marathon. That's the other thing. A fucking marathon he runs a day. A marathon a day. With one leg. Take out the amputation for a second. Uh, that's impossible. Crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. For someone who had never long distance runned before. And he, now he, he's he ran one 27 kilometer race, yeah. which is a half marathon. Yeah. And he was like. I think I can run across the country. <laughs> a marathon a day. <laughs> a marathon a day. It's insane. Holy. But again, like, I think only a kid would think that up. And only a kid yeah. would just be like, yeah, I can go do it. Fuck it. Yeah. Like. Ugh. On his arrival in Ottawa, Fox met with Governor General and, more importantly, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. Ugh. And was the guest of honor at numerous sporting events in the city. In front of 16,000 fans, he performed a ceremonial kickoff at the Canadian Football League game and was given a standing ovation. Terry's journal reflected his growing excitement at the reception he had received. On July 11th, Terry arrived in Toronto, where there was a crowd of 10,000 people who met Terry as he was honored at Nathan Phillips Square. He ran to the square, and he was joined on the road by many people, including National Hockey League star Daryl Sittler, who presented Terry with his 1980 All-Star Game jersey. The Cancer Society estimated it collected $100,000 in donations in that day alone. Wow. So remember, when he got to Quebec, he had raised $200,000 total, and now he's received half of that in a day. Yeah. It's really exploded by this point. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think a lot of Maritimers have like a lot of cherished memories of Terry because they remember him running through before he was like a really big deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, that evening, he also threw the ceremonial pitch at Exhibition Stadium preceding the baseball game between the Toronto Blue Jays and the Cleveland Indians. Mm. Another team that needs to change its name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're out there. As he continued through Southern Ontario, he was met by Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Orr, who presented him with a check for $25,000. Terry considered meeting Orr the highlight of his journey. Because <laughs> he's a kid. Yeah. Because, uh, like, because he's spent his whole life like just knowing who Bobby Orr is. Mm-hmm. Like Bobby Orr's like, yeah. 
that's like pre Gretzky, pre Crosby. Like that's like yeah. he would have been like Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr, number four. I'd be excited to meet Bobby Orr today. Yeah. And I hate the Bruins. Yeah. But Bobby Orr, man. But Bobby Orr. As Terry's fame grew, the Cancer Society would schedule him to attend more functions and give more speeches. And Terry attempted to accommodate any request that he believed would raise money, no matter how far out of his way it took him. He bristled, however, at what he felt were media intrusions into his personal life. For example, when the Toronto Star reported that he had gone on a date, Terry was left unsure whom he could trust in the media after negative articles began to emerge, including one by the Globe and Mail that highlighted tensions with his brother Daryl and claimed he was running because he held a grudge against the doctor who had misdiagnosed his condition, allegations that he referred to as trash. Because he's a kid. Of course he's going to fight with his brother. His brother's yeah. like 17. Yeah. Like 17-year-olds are annoying. It's like notoriously annoying. Yeah. And it's like, why are you reporting that? Yeah. Do you really think that that's worthy? Like, it's just like for a cheap headline. Yeah. The physical demands of running a marathon every day took a toll on Terry's body. Apart from the rest days in Montreal taken at the request of the Cancer Society, he refused to take a day off, even on his 22nd birthday. He frequently suffered from shin splints and an inflamed knee. He developed cysts on his stump, and he experienced dizzy spells. At one point, he suffered a soreness in his ankle that just wouldn't go away. And although he feared he had developed a stress fracture, he ran for three more days before seeking medical attention and was then relieved to learn it was tendonitis and could be treated just with painkillers. So he's like, oh, thank God, I can keep running. Take some Advil, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Terry rejected calls for him to seek regular medical checkups and dismissed suggestions he was risking his future health. By late August, Terry described that he was exhausted before he began the day's run um, because at this point, he has been running a marathon every single day since late April, and it is now the end of August. Yeah. (laughs) So you run a marathon every day for five Five months. months. That's insane the human body is not designed yeah like i'm tired thinking thinking about about that (laughs) on september 1st outside thunder bay he was forced to stop briefly after he suffered an intense coughing fit and experienced pains in his chest he resumed running as the crowds along the highway shouted with encouragement a few miles later short of breath with continued chest pain he asked doug to drive him to the hospital And the next day, Terry held a tearful press conference during which he announced that his cancer had returned and spread to his lungs. He was forced to end his run after 143 days and 5,373 kilometers. Terry refused offers to complete the run in his stead, stating that he wanted to complete the marathon himself. And where did he get to? Just outside Thunder Bay. Terry had raised $1.7 million, equivalent to $5 million in today's currency, Mm -hmm. and he was forced to abandon the marathon. A week after his run ended, the CTV television network organized a national telethon to support Terry and the Canadian Cancer Society. Supported by Canadian and international celebrities, a five-hour event raised $10.5 million, equivalent to $33 million today. Among the donations were $1 million each by the governments of British Columbia and Ontario, the former to create a new research institute to be founded in Terry's name, and the latter an endowment given to the Ontario Cancer Treatment and Research Foundation. Donations continued through the winter, and by April, over $23 million had been raised. 
equivalent to $64 million. Supporters and well-wishers from around the world inundated Terry with letters and tokens of support. At one point, he was receiving more mail than the rest of Port Coquitlam combined. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Such was his fame that all you would have to address the letter to would be Terry Fox Canada, and it would be successfully delivered. That's so Canadian. (laughs) In September 1980, Terry was invested in a special ceremony as a companion of the Order of Canada. He was the youngest person to be so honored. The lieutenant governor of British Columbia named him to the Order of the Dogwood, the province's highest award. (laughs) We're not going to read into it. Like the tree? I guess so. Okay. British Columbia loves trees. Yeah, they love nature. (laughs) Canada's Sports Hall of Fame commissioned a permanent exhibit, and Terry was named the winner of the Lou Marsh Award in 1980 for the nation's top athlete. He was named Canada's 1980 Newsmaker of the Year, The Ottawa Citizen described the national response to his marathon as one of the most powerful outpourings of emotion and generosity in Canada's history. In the following months, Terry received multiple chemotherapy treatments, but the disease continued to spread. His conditions worsened, and Canadians hoped for a miracle. Uh, Pope John Paul II even sent a telegram saying that he was praying for Terry Fox. Well, when the Pope's praying for (laughs) you. JP2. Doctors turned to experimental interferon treatments, but their effectiveness was unknown. He suffered an adverse reaction to his first treatment, but continued with the program after a period of rest. Terry was readmitted to the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster on June 19, 1981, with a chest congestion and developed pneumonia. He fell into a coma and died at 4.30 a.m. on June 28, 1981. The government of Canada ordered flags across the country be lowered at half-mast, an unprecedented honor that was usually reserved for statesmen. Addressing the House of Commons, Pierre Trudeau said, It occurs very rarely in the life of a nation that the courageous spirit of one person unites all the people in the celebration of his life and in the morning of his death. We do not think of him as one who was defeated by misfortune, but as one who inspires us with the example of the triumph of the human spirit over adversity. His funeral was attended by 40 relatives and 200 guests, but it was broadcast on national television. Hundreds of communities across Canada held memorial services. The Canadian Cancer Society was overwhelmed with donations. He is buried in Park Quitlam's Municipal Cemetery. So the undeniable legacy of Terry Fox is the Terry Fox run. Yeah. And there were proposals for this really early on. So during the marathon, during Fox's marathon, Sharp, who was the Four Seasons owner, he proposed an annual fundraising run in Terry's name. Terry agreed, but insisted that the runs had to be non-competitive, include anyone who wanted to participate. Terry, Of faced- course he did. Yeah. <laughs> Sharp faced opposition to the project. The Cancer Society feared that a fall run would detract from its traditional April campaigns. So they're like, we can't have two campaigns. That'd be too much money. <laughs> well, we're a charity. <laughs> we're a charity. Well, other charities believe that an additional fundraiser would leave less money for their causes. Sharp persisted, and he, the Four Seasons Hotels, and the Fox family organized the first Terry Fox run on September 13th, 1981. So just like two months after he passes away, oh. there's already a Terry Fox run. Over 300,000 people took part, and it raised $3.5 million dollars. Schools across Canada were urged to join in the second run, which was held on September 19, 1982. School participation has continued ever since and evolving into National School Run Day. 
The runs, which raised over $20 million in their first six years, grew into international events as over 1 million people in 60 countries took part in 1999, raising $15 million in that year alone. By the Terry Fox Run's 25th anniversary, more than 3 million people were taking part annually. Grants from the Terry Fox Foundation, which organizes the runs, have helped Canadian scientists make numerous advancements in cancer research. The Terry Fox Run is the world's largest one-day fundraiser for cancer research, and over $750 million have been raised in his name as of January 2018. Terry refused to regard himself as disabled and would not allow anyone to pity him, telling a Toronto radio station that he found life more rewarding and challenging since he had lost his leg. His feat helped redefine Canadian views of disability and the inclusion of the disabled in society. Terry's actions increased the visibility of people with disabilities and influenced the attitudes of those with disabilities by showing disabilities portrayed in such a positive light. Rick Hansen commented that the run challenged society to focus on ability rather than disability, mm-hmm. writing, what was perceived as a limitation became a great opportunity. People with disabilities started looking at things differently, and they came away with huge pride. Yeah. And that's the story of the greatest Canadian, I think, hands down, yeah. Terry Fox. Yeah. The, like, the Canadian that's na- like, his name should never, ever be... Like, like around, like, like, involved with controversy. Like, there's nothing controversial Mm -hmm. about Terry Fox. No, and like, he only ever stood for just such like a very singular thing that affects all of us. And like, he wanted the inclusion of everybody. Just a good person. His mom, and I don't know if she's still there, but she or the family, I'm not sure, moved to Truro in the late 90s. Oh, okay. Um, or they have, like, family there or something. But she was in Truro, located in Truro, and came to um, the elementary school that I went to. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, like, during Terry Fox, like, during Day. September, like, in, in celebration of Terry Fox Day, and came, and he's been on the loony. Yeah, Terry um, was on the loony. And I, I think 2020 was the, the 40th anniversary of yeah. the run. So, yeah. yeah. Basically, turn this, like, media attention into a donation to the Terry Fox Foundation, please. Yeah. And participate in the run. I had heard a story a while ago that the run was sort of dying out. And I think that needs – that's, like, something that, like, this year I'm, like, I'm going to do it. Like, yeah. I'm, even if I don't run, like, I'm going to do a Terry Fox thing this year yeah. for sure. For sure. I mean, my parents, like, involved in the schools, even, like, all the high schools in – I would say I, – I don't think there's, a like, a school, a, a public school in the country that doesn't do something for the Terry Fox run. Yeah. No, I think it's part of – it's not part of curriculum, but it's, like, a national <laughs> – It should be. It's a national thing. Which yeah. I think there is, like, time worked into a school calendar for it. So to do the Terry Fox run. That was a – oh, that was a sad one. I haven't cried during an episode since Andy Minarski. Yeah. Yeah, that, was- that that one was bad because it's a twist. This one you knew was coming. Oh yeah, this one I knew he was gonna die. Mostly it was just like I was crying because like you were like reading it and that just made me sad because <laughs> I don't like it when you're sad. <laughs> yeah, Andy Minarski, you really you really rocked me with that one. If you haven't listened to the Andy Minarski episode, it's um, a good one. I won't say anything else because you should go listen to it. It's a good episode. Yeah, it's a good one. A lesser known Canadian hero, but yeah, yeah. no, I think Terry Fox. If you want to make a grown man cry, just like bring up Terry. It's the culmination of everything. It's vulnerability. It's sports. It's like utter faith and confidence. Cancer. Cancer. You know. Well, Grace, thank you for that 
sad episode of Minute Women, but a really important one. It's sad. Um, it's important. We also needed to do it. You know, yeah. there was a no. There's no better time, I guess, other than at Terry Fox Day. You know, but. and is Terry Fox has shown us no better time than the present to just get it yeah, done. Yeah, just do it. Just do it. I think that's that's a good yeah closer in some ways. I think Terry would just tell you to just go do it. So yeah, if there's something you're putting off, just go do it because you never know. You never know. And also, like, anyone can do anything if they try. Yeah. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Fox. Terry Fox. Grace McNutt. <laughs> well, yeah. if you want to listen to other episodes in the Minute Women podcast or check out our merch or send us an email, oh you know how that option, um, head on over to www.minutewomenpodcast.ca. You can get all the links to our social media there and so much more. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform you listen to us on. Review us on Apple Podcasts. Review us on Spotify if you prefer. Review us on both. Who cares, you know? Mix it up a little bit. You just do whatever you want. (laughs) And if you would like to make a donation to the Terry Fox Foundation, we recommend you go do that. We can leave a link in the description of this episode so you know where to go. We put out new episodes every Wednesday. So we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.